Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, how's everybody doing? Hope you guys had a great weekend. Hopefully your guys' campaigns are going well, and if you're getting ready to run one, hopefully you uh, you know you got your ducks in a row. So you know, I haven't told people this in a while, but I was, you know, just, just to, just to, as a reminder, what are we doing here with uh, Successfully Funded? Well, our goal is to interview project creators while their campaigns are, are active. So that way you, the listener, are getting the most up-to-date um, data. You're getting the most uh, up-to-date tips and tools and techniques, and this is how this is working, and this is what this is working, as well as just getting into the stories of, of how these projects go from an idea, maybe a sketch on a napkin, to, to full-on development. So that's what we want to talk about here. So that's what we're trying to do each week. Um, so those are our long-form episodes. And then uh, when I get the urge, I like to do these quick hitters. And my goal there is that within 10 minutes, I want to try to give you uh, just quick information that helps you, you know, whatever it might be, Facebook or Instagram, just something that, that you know, quickly you can, uh, can start, you know, get the info and start working and, and implementing into your business. So uh, coming up on, the, on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Matt from Move Chair, and that's M-U-V, Move Chair. Uh, so that conversation is coming up a little bit later. Uh, interesting design company out of Minneapolis that uh, that's creating a, a unique office chair. So we're, we're going to talk to Matt here in a little bit. Uh, so, but I wanted to, uh, to to give you guys some updates. First update is my daughter's homesick again. So, if you guys listened to the last episode, you'd realize that I've I, I experienced some incredibly gross things last night. Um, I've. I experienced the next level of grossness, um, which I didn't know existed. But it turns out that when you add absolute fear and terror into a gross experience, it does take it to another level. So last night, uh, and mind you, I thought we are all, we, my wife and I had assumed that my, my, my daughter is better, considering that the last incident was last Wednesday, which turned into Thursday's episode that I talked about. Uh, so she's been fine since then. But last night, around four in the morning, so uh, yeah, uh, another little tidbit here. I've been up since four, which is great, mind you, which is great. So I'm feeling just super energized right now. So so the what I found out is grosser than what I talked about on Thursday's episode is... Um, is when your daughter is standing next to you while you're fast asleep. I mean, you are lights out, Sunday night, cold sleep, right? You're just out. And you just feel that presence. And her hair is over her eyes, so it looks a little bit like the ring. And then she pukes on you. See, that's when you wake up and you're, you're terrified because, number one, there's a being there, you know, staring at you. And then the second thing is, then you get puked on. So I think think that is pretty bad. So that happened last night. Um, and then she puked five times after that again. Things are awesome. I'll tell you what. It, what's been happening here in the Little Wenzel Mushroom House really shows how the Walking Dead scenario can happen. Because if there was a deadly disease, it would wipe out me and my community like that. I, you know, I went to my dad's beer night on Thursday. Where we got all the dads from the neighborhood, and, and they've, we've all got small kids going to the same school. Everybody's sick. Everybody's feeling it. So yeah, here's my daughter right now. Say hi. You want to go where? 
You go potty? Okay. We're going to put this on pause. I'll be right back, okay? All right, guys, I'm back. That wasn't a disastrous bathroom break, so that's a good thing. But, yeah, so that's what's going on here. <sighs> Never ends, man. Never ends. It's one thing after another. So I'm pretty excited. Um, I got an idea uh, talking with Sean the other day about exploring the idea of actually me going a little bit out on a tour. And now you might be thinking, what, 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 what does that mean? So what, what I'm exploring right now is sending out uh, invitations for is actually having me come and present at a funding scenario at funding groups or angel investor groups or venture capital groups uh, about what crowdfunding does and how it's a part of the fundraising um, uh, roadmap for a small business or an entrepreneur. So uh, I spent the weekend reaching out to a couple companies and it looks like, yeah, by April I could start maybe doing uh, a few series. So I'm hoping that if that all goes well and uh, I can basically build my pitch well, not even a pitch. Just build my uh, my my uh, my presentation. I'm I'm, I'm going to have some dates for you guys that you guys can come see me live. So I'm real excited about that. Um, I'm going to be working on that most of this week. Uh, that that's a, that's my big thing. And, and um, yeah, out, outside of hopefully you know the the everybody is feeling better. So yeah, what else is going on? What else is going on? What else is in the news? I mean, it still feels like it's kind of a dark time out there. You know, seems like every day there's some new drama in my in my Facebook news feed. So I got that going on. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but I've been enjoying this this book, Fifty Four True Facts. It, you guys should check this out. Uh, it's it's an interesting book. I'm gonna give a couple facts here um, that I think you know may, might help today. So the words written on Twitter every day would fill a 10 million page book. How about that fun fact? Let's do one more. The average lavatory seat is much cleaner than the average toothbrush. That's because your mouth is home to around two, I'm sorry, is home to around 20 billion bacteria. During a 10 second French kiss, you share about 80 million bacteria. Well, luckily my wife and I haven't French kissed in probably three or four years. So that's not happening in my house. So that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Uh, update, quick update on the health thing of my dad. My dad came home uh, from the hospital uh, Friday afternoon, for maybe even Friday late. Uh, he's still not doing well, but he's at least home. So I got that going on, which is nice. Um, if my house wasn't complete sickness, we'd go down and see him. But, um, but if you guys want to... Oh, I forgot about this. I wanted to plug this too. I'm on another podcast. Yeah. How about that? So if you want to dive a little bit more into the Jeff Wenzel personal life, uh, check out the podcast. It's called Standcast. And if you go on iTunes and Google that, or you can go to the Stan Magazine and find it there. Uh, it's me and my buddies, Dwayne and Mitch from the neighborhood, talking about guy stuff. You know, talking about what it's like to be a man in today's society. Yeah, yeah. I get off all deep and philosophy philosophical what's the word i don't know it's early too early for that word but um but yeah so check out that podcast if you go and google it on itunes i will let you know there is two standcasts um so you see you want to find the one that's about the men about the men's magazine not the oklahoma theater club i think is something like that but uh, but check that out that's a little bit more jeff wenzel if this podcast isn't enough and you just need that touch more man head over there so a couple other things 
if you are enjoying the podcast, sign up uh, for our blog. Make sure you, you sign up uh, to get our newsletter where I, I, I give you guys even more in-depth information. I got a great article coming out this Tuesday that I think you guys are going to really dig. And, uh, and then tell friends if you like the podcast. You know, review us on iTunes, all that sort of stuff, right? That stuff helps. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so let's, let's kick it over my conversation with Matt. Now, I'm gonna, I, I want to give a little preference here. I'm not 100% sure Matt liked me. And the reason I'm saying that is, you know, I do the interview and then I, you know, we, we, we say our goodbyes and then I got to, you know, I have to wait about five minutes for the file to upload, right? That's, you know, to, it has to go to my Dropbox. And in that time, usually there's some banter back and forth with me and the, the interviewer. And that's where, I, you know, I, I talk a little bit more about myself, hey, what I do, when the, when the episode's going to come out. So in this, in this case, um, we said our goodbyes. And Matt instantly got up and started talking to somebody else in the room. And I was still on. I was still recording. And I, and I heard him talking. And I don't think he enjoyed our interview. I, I, he might not have liked me, which, you know, hey, that's okay. People, it's all right. People might not like me. But, um, but yeah, but maybe, maybe I misheard. I'm not 100% sure. Um, so who knows, right? Who knows? Not everybody has to like me. That's why I'm in therapy. So, Matt, if you didn't enjoy the episode, I apologize. Uh, or if you didn't enjoy my interview style, or if, if, uh, if it wasn't, I, I, I'm just sorry. But uh, I thought the, inter- the, the interview went well. And I, I love learning about uh, Matt's, Matt's designs and how he approaches it and, and how he uh, funded the move chair. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the conversation. And at the end of it, if you're like Matt and you don't like it, send me an email. To tell me how bad I am at it. Uh, that's okay, too, you know. That's okay too. So, all right. Here's my conversation with Matt from Move Chair, and that's M U V if you're Googling it or going to Kickstarter. All right. All right, Matt, the record light's on. It's time to make the greatest podcast in the history of podcasting. You ready? Yep. All right, awesome. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about the, uh, the project you're working on and your crowdfunding campaign? Uh, it's called Move Chair, and uh, we, uh, it started a long time ago. I saw our, my kids' school, they had yoga balls that they were all sitting on, and I saw that as a huge problem with the ball rolling away as right. you know, like the lunch bell rings or something. So I thought there's got to be a better way. So we started building prototypes. And uh, what we really found, if you see on our website, there's an old prototype where it had a piece of rubber in there. And what we found is, like, uh, there's a lot of, like, the weeble wobble chairs. And what they do is just kind of mimic a yoga ball. So the pivot point is, like, at the floor, and which that just kind of works your legs. And the more we move the pivot point up, we found that, the more it worked your core and really kept you having to stay on the seat. So what we ended up with was the mechanism is right underneath the seat, which totally engages your whole body. Huh. Interesting, interesting. So uh, you know, how long has this project then been, been, how long have you been on this project in terms of building prototypes and stuff like that? About eight years ago. Wow, wow. Yeah. So... Um, 
you know, and, and what kind of outside of that story of just kind of seeing the problem, like, like, are, you know, are you a fitness buff? Did you see the, the benefits of, you know, everybody in America sitting in a desk? I'm sitting at a desk right now. Uh, you might be sitting, but did you, you know, was that part of the, the, uh, the storyline as well? Um, not really. It was just kind of seeing like there was great opportunity there for, for the, the benefits that, that came from sitting on a yoga ball. Um, but there were so many downsides to it. It wasn't height adjustable. Um, you know, you can't like roll underneath your desk. You kind of got to shimmy right. uh, to get on the ball underneath your desk. And uh, so that's kind of, it just started with see a need, fill a need. So Gotcha, gotcha. So, so let's back up a little bit. So, you know, what's your background? Um, you know, are you a designer? What, who are you? Uh, mechanical engineer slash... Uh, um, uh, manufacturing engineer, UW Stout. Um, so I started the company back in 2005 to make really cool products. We have like a dozen different products that all fit kind of in a niche market, not something that um, is really for store shelves, sort of. Okay. And uh, so we decided that we were going to try to like do something with some of these and because uh, we also work on other people's projects too. Um, that's, that's where we make our income really, but mm-hmm. we wanted to try to get these 12 products out there. So we started with the lowest hanging fruit, which was the move chair. And, uh, cause we had so many prototypes, so much interest in it. People were coming to us with, oh, my kid has, you know, he's on the spectrum with, uh, autism and this, this would be really awesome. So we gave one to him and that kid absolutely loved it. They, the parents loved it. They were like, oh my gosh, this should be at every school for kids. Hmm. Um, other people, you know, are using it for weight loss. Um, there's just unbelievable amount of, you know, diversity in it. Sure, sure. Now, is this something that you can modify a chair that you have or, or is this all encompassed that, that, that you're buying? Um, it's, well, it's all encompassed. Uh, we used, uh, an existing chair cause there was no, no need to rebuild the chair. But once we found one that had the, the tractor seat on it, which is what really kind of grips your bottom. Cause if you're, you know, it's like sitting on a yoga ball, your, your butt isn't made to sit on a yoga ball. Right. Right. And nor is it really made to sit on a flat seat. So, because you can move around in it. So that's where mm-hmm. the tractor seat really came in. And, you know, we've had a few people say, oh, it looks really uncomfortable. And we've never had a person that sat on it ever say it's uncomfortable. Hmm. And it's all day comfortable, too. Right. That's, that's, that's cool. So, you know, because you've got a background in manufacturing stuff, what's the kind of the first, you know, uh, process when you kind of maybe have the first sketch or the first kind of idea? You know, how, how does that process start to happen here in terms of manufacturing? Um. I just what what I do is just I tinker in our shop and uh, and you know with other people and we we just start playing with prototypes and building the actual thing because sometimes using SolidWorks or whatever you know CAD um, doesn't really give you the the full body experience that you're looking for mm-hmm. and so actually building a prototype testing it seeing what's wrong go back to the you know back to the shop and try again over and over again until you finally perfect it. Right, right, right. So, you know, in this process over the last eight years, what's been the biggest um, hurdle or, or roadblock that you ran into designing this? 
Um, never really had any. You know, we looked at patents and um, we weaved our way around them. There's, there's, it's kind of crazy that there's not a lot of patents out there for anything like this. Hmm. So, so okay. we were kind of wide open to to design whatever we wanted, really. Wow, interesting, cool. And, and, and you know, is was there anything like sourcing materials, or or did you have to like how how do you find like what you need to to pull this off? Uh, is it readily available? Is there any sort of sort of headaches around that? Uh, custom parts. Uh, you know, we've um, we work with a lot of manufacturers um, for our clients as well. That when we design the parts, then we can we have this the source to to build like full scale because we we're only kind of we kind of end at the prototype for mm-hmm. a lot of parts. We don't manufacture a whole lot of stuff. So we reach out and have local suppliers supply us with custom parts. And then um, we 3D printed the rest of them. We have a couple of 3D printers and and uh, that's where we need to move on is if we're going to launch this thing to the big big world and if yeah, I mean our worst thing would somebody says that's great, we want a thousand of them. Um, you know, we don't have the tooling in place to make a thousand of them. So we've just been three right. D printing some of the parts as we go. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So what? Uh, so where did you grow up? Um, just south of Minneapolis in Albert Lee, Minnesota, and okay. uh, moved up to the Twin Cities and um, commuted back and forth to UW Stout, and have stayed here in near Minneapolis my whole life. Got you. And what's the like entrepreneur scene like there? Is there is it supportive? Is there help for people running crowdfunding campaigns and 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 starting companies? What's it like up there? That's where we're all brand new in that. We're um, you know I have a couple of other uh, engineers that work for me, um, and we're just not marketing. We're not media. Um, we haven't really found a good resource to reach out to. Um, I I you know. It's uh, what were we were just listening to uh, your podcast on Just Reach Out. Oh. Looks like a great place to reach out to. Yeah, it's a, yeah that is a great PR tool. It's, I use it all the time. It's, it's, uh, I recommend it to clients. I recommend it on calls. Yeah, it, it really is a great tool. So, so um, you know, and, and what, kind of what's your opinion right now in terms of, of uh, you know, it's, this is sort of in the landscape right now of conversations around manufacturing and jobs in America and, and, and building stuff like this because we just don't build anything here. You know, what's your take on, on that, sort of, uh, that sort of conversation? Um, it's kind of funny. We, you know, I know how to source parts. I know how to, um, one thing that we do really good is refine things down to a simplest form instead of just making it overly complicated. And, uh, so I've, I was kind of surprised. I was looking, um, was it Martin Keene from Focal Upright had mentioned that he, he found a big drawback was he thought everybody in America would be willing to, you know, just jumping out to help out and to make parts and everything. And uh, the waiting list was long. People didn't reply. It's like nobody really had the desire to work. So he was forced to kind of look overseas. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree that yeah, that's kind of what, when I saw this, I was, I was hoping to get into this sort of part of the conversation is just in terms of like making something like this in America. How hard actually is it? And how, you know, how far can you actually take the ball before you have to just go to China, go to somewhere else to to get that part? Like, you know, what are you facing in terms of, of trying to, you know, build stuff in America? Um, we honestly don't trust the whole China system a whole lot. We've um, 
We've worked with other companies. We have sourced from China, but uh, the materials, you just kind of never know exactly what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And unless you're a big, giant manufacturer, you can't really go back to them and say, say that um, it, you know, these parts aren't good enough, redo it. So right. that's where we stay local. And uh, we can run down the street to the to the local shop that's lasering out the parts, or whatever, and uh, and and you know switch it around in in real time and and make quality parts because we're all about quality. Sure, sure. And and then how does that for um, you know that sort of mindset, quality parts that stuff, kind of fit into the whole business plan of price points and you know you know the, the the market value the market price for for an item like this like where do you see that equation all coming together um well we're really good at again refining it down to its simplest form which has really kept the price down and um you know minimal um investment in big tooling and uh, and we've just been pretty fortunate to keep the price really really low um, and not have to have like a lot of people in the world, you know, an eight, nine hundred thousand dollar chair. Right, right. Yeah, I, I thought that was intriguing because that's that's one of the things too. Is that when I saw this price point and imagining that this would be like an office chair that obviously you're sitting in forty hours a week or something like that, that this price point isn't ridiculous. Um, no, it's you know, uh, it's, it's not at all. Than a gym membership. Yeah, it yeah, it really is. So, you know, are there any sort of like regulations that you have to follow or anything like that for um, you know, for for chairs or anything like that? Just cuz I have no idea. I've never I've never designed or built a chair. Is there any sort of regulations you have to follow? There are lots of them. We um really? we reached yeah, we reached out to a big company to see if um because a lot of times what we do is we design it, we build the prototype. Um, you know, we get it refined down to where it's kind of ready to go. And then we reach out to bigger companies and say, hey, do you want to buy this? And uh, we've kind of gotten some pushback. Oh, it needs to be certified on you know, six different levels. Like, for instance, um, office chairs used to have only four legs on them. And then they switched it and said, nope, that's no longer a possibility. It has to have five legs on it. So every chair you see has five legs on it now. I'm so, looking at my chair right now. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. Yep. Wow. So they they switched that back. I think in the somewhere in the eighties or nineties. But that's crazy. And is there different ones than for international, Europe, China? I would assume so. We haven't really dug that deep, and that's okay. where we were kind of looking at Kickstarter because people are buying. You, you get what you see. You know. Yeah. Um, we're hoping to kind of alleviate a little bit of that. We're probably going to have to face it in the future when, if this thing really goes big. And, um, but we don't really know right now. Right, right, right. So, uh, so back to, a little bit to, to kind of your growing up, how did you get into like designing and, and you know, where, where was that inspiration to, to, to get into manufacturing and designing products? Um, as a kid, I tinkered in the garage all the time building things. Um, you know, a lot of my friends started to get impressed after – well, I went into sheet metal for a long time, and then I saw that the engineers just didn't really, they, they could design the parts, but they didn't really have an understanding of if it could be manufactured or not. Mm-hmm. So then I started to help the engineers make products that were easier to manufacture, and that's where I finally just kind of got fed up and went back to school again for manufacturing engineering. And then I came back, started a you know, company, Started to build that up, 
and uh, designing the parts. And um, so a lot of the a lot of people are like, wow, you know, like I I build a lot of things just for myself, uh-huh. just because it would be cool, and I take a day or two or a week or whatever to build it. And they're like, holy cow, that's so cool. The whole world needs these, you know? Well, right. great. I'm not going to go down to my local store and see if they'll, you know, buy millions of them. So that's kind of that. All those products got put on the back shelf, and that's kind of where 12 products are just sort of sitting right now. Gotcha. What did your parents do, or what do they do? Um, my dad worked in construction, and my mom used to manage apartments. So okay. it didn't really come from that. I guess I did have a brother-in-law who um, was a, a mechanical engineer, and I really uh-huh. liked what he was doing, and he'd show me what he was working on, and I thought that was really, really cool. So that kind of drove me a lot too. That's cool. So, as you know, in terms of what you've designed, is there something that you've designed that you're, in your mind is just like, man, this is the greatest thing in the world, but you just can't get the world to quite see it yet? Do you have anything like that in your uh, in your uh, in your garage? Not really, because no, uh, right. no everybody's like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And then that kind of pushes me to like, "Oh, if you think that's cool, I actually made a a, a better one than that." So we kind of <laughs> you know look at that too and. So it's, there's, it's a lot of really, really exciting stuff, but we just keep kicking back to them and saying, gosh, you know, what, what should we do with this? So our plan right now is to launch, you know, the lowest hanging fruit, which was the move chair. Uh-huh. And then we're, we're hoping to just go down the line gotcha. and uh, launch all of these one at a time s- slowly and get them out into the world. So you mentioned that you have other engineers, like, like what's your team look like in terms of designing this sort of stuff? You know, how, where do, how does the ideas flow? Is, does it all come from you and then your team helps design that or, or certain parts or do you guys all work together? Like, like walk me through how an idea works with your team. Um, well, for a lot of, a lot of it is, is our clients that we work for. Uh, they have an idea. Um, a lot of them are um, industrial engineer, you know, drawings or, okay. um, you know, so you get kind of like 3D cartoon things, right? Yeah. And they, they say, oh, there, make that happen. And then we have to dissect it, kind of go back and start to build it up from the ground and, and make what can actually be made versus just because you made a pretty picture doesn't mean that it can really come to life. Right. So we kind of bounce that back and forth. But a lot of it is just we have a, we have a good relationship with uh, sitting down at the table and just really kicking out lots of stupid ideas because, you know, that's how you find what, what's going to work and what's not. And I, I like to take the approach of the extreme opposite is what is the worst thing that you could make or what, you know, and then kind of move away from that. And it kind of brings <laughs> you back to the center. Right, right. So, you know, uh, with the move chair, what was the moment that maybe it all started to come together from not just a sketch and not just some prototypes where it started to like come together work? Was there a moment like that where you guys kind of stood back and said, hey, I think we have something r- really good here? Um, you know, we, we always just thought it was pretty cool. We actually uh, just before uh, or we went to SEMA because we make some other products that um, with a, with another buddy of mine. And we go to SEMA and we, we, we you know, show those all the time. So we What's took, SEMA? Just real quick, uh, SEMA is uh, S-E-M-A. It's the world's largest automotive aftermarket parts. Oh, okay. 
it's over all of Las Vegas when it happens, and it's it uh, this year it was like right at the end of October to the beginning of November, so it's a week long, and um, so it's you know tires and wheels and it's cars and trucks and it's just everything that goes on cars and trucks, I guess. Uh-huh. And uh, so we we took two chairs with just so that we could sit in them at our booth while we were there. But then our, our idea was to kind of get some feedback, some, some mass feedback. Cause we, you know, you can only ask your mom and your relatives what they think of it so many times. And they just keep telling you, Oh, it's great. It's perfect. So we needed some real world. And we were pretty blown away that, you know, we had about 300 different people that we got to come sit down in the chair. We're like, Hey, you know, come try this chair out. And well, okay. What's different about it? Well, just sit down and, and see, and almost every experience is the exact same. They sit down with a really puzzled look on their face, and it takes about 2.2 seconds, and their eyes go wide open, and they're like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Holy cow, I could get a six-pack in about a week sitting on this chair. So that's where we really started to move on that is, uh-huh. wow, it's really as good as we were thinking it was. That's cool. That's great. So. So I want to take a moment because I have, I think, three clients who are making hardware or physical products, and they're they're early in the stages. What would you say to them, or mentor them, or like what would you say to them in that those those early stages of building a physical product? Wow, that one is really tough. We have a lot of resources that we reach out to, um, you know. To, um, I'm looking here, uh, McMaster Car. You know, you talk hardware, McMaster Car has like everything in the world that you could ever need. And so you're looking for a, a part and in, a lot of times instead of reinventing the screw, you know, because you're envisioning the screw, you go on there and pretty much you can find it. Huh. And then huh. source it from So So do you have a do you have like a, a mindset that, that that people getting into manufacturing need to be in? So something that we talk about is that we you know, you just never let a blocker happen or, or you just pivot. I mean, is, is that a mindset that you feel like you have to have too? Um, not really. No, there's, we don't really have limitations. Um, we, we like challenges. We like, uh, uh, we were working on another project that actually was patented. And um, we've, we've done this many times where it's patented and you're forced to try to go around it. And you can either give up and say, oh, the patent already exists. Or you can try to go around it. And, and I've talked to another huge company that did the same thing. And uh, when you do go around the patent, 90% of the time you end up with a better product than what you were trying to go around. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. So, so you, know, you mentioned patents a couple times here. And that's come up. On, on this podcast quite a bit. How do you guys handle patents and, and just that the whole world of it? Because it, there's just so many. And I know the department that, you know, when you submit stuff, it, it usually takes some time. How, how do you guys handle patents and, and making sure that you're getting, you know, you're protected on your ideas? Um, we reached out. We've, we've got a pretty good patent attorney that, uh, that really feels for us and really goes out because, you can get a simple patent, which is, is very broad, and uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, the other way around, very narrow, and uh-huh. it's just like, say, just this chair. If it looks just like this and acts just like this, then you're covered. Um, 
But if you kind of have a broad patent, and that costs a lot more money because it's all about the research and uh, seeing, you know, making, you know, uncovering every stone, um, then you can say, okay, any chair that looks anything like this and, and moves anything even remotely close to this, we're covered. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of where that is. But a long time ago, I met a guy that um, had a in, uh, rotational molding plastics company, and he kind of sat me down and was like, look, I make about 100, 100 different products every single year, and I've never had a patent in my life. I completely don't believe in them. He's like, I design it, we make it, we throw it out to the market, and then we let everybody else try to feed off of it. And it right. just kind of really makes us, it helps us because we were the first ones to have it. Interesting. So, That's an interesting view. I, yeah. I, I, patents are weird to me, too. They, 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 they just seem like it's a lot of paperwork. And, and I see it, you know, but then I, I saw something the other day where, you know, our, a simple, or an iPhone has like 250,000 patents just to get that iPhone built. And it's just like, man, it's a, it's a lot. You know, so how, how do you walk the maybe that fine line of before you know you're covered with a patent and starting to show it off and tell people about it? How, how do you walk that line? Um, we used to really keep everything very, very close to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read a book one time about um, basically tells a story of a guy that, you know, it reminded me a, a lot of me. He's like sitting in his basement. And he's got all these great ideas and he's got all these awesome products and he's really scared to let anybody know about them. And then someday he dies and he still has all of those built. And it it really makes us look at it going, you know, do you know how many people in this world have the same thing? They have this really cool product. They really don't want anybody to know about it. Um, But they're just not sure that it's worth patenting. Right. Or, or whatever. So they keep it closed up and then it never goes anywhere. And we've yeah. kind of felt the other way around where we just, we just, uh, we don't really care that much. <laughs> We're just trying to make cool products. Cool, cool. So let's pivot a little bit over to the uh, Kickstarter. So, so you had a $15,000 goal and you're, you're, you're successful right now, but you still got a couple weeks to go. So what was the, uh, your idea behind going to Kickstarter and, and having this goal about what, what was the ideas behind that? Um, well, we'd, kind of heard about it, um, started to do a little bit of investigating, thought it was really a cool thing, and uh, we kind of uh, collectively just decided that we would go ahead and, and try it. Um, we've had other people tell us, oh, we should take all our, you know, one or one of our products or something and try to go get on a shark tank, and uh, that really wasn't our goal. Mm-hmm. So we just want to get, make cool products, put them out to the world, see what happens. Cool. And, and like outside of the, the, the cash, what is the, what is the goals and outcomes that you have for this campaign? Viability, just, you know, is there a market for this? What, what are you trying to, what do you hope happens from this campaign? Well, you know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a long journey. Um, as we were, as we were actually putting together our website, um, it, we started to you know, do some research on like, well, what should we put in our video and what should we do here? And man, you, you type in like, you know, sitting and you get millions of articles on sitting is killing us. Sitting is the worst thing in the world. Even with exercise, you know, you're still sitting in your body. And we started to find all this research and we're like, wow, we're really onto something. Mm-hmm. So that's where we just kept pushing is like, okay, well, 
we're going to make this chair, you know, and our first video really wasn't very good because it was, it was very negative at the beginning, telling mm. people about how they're going to die sitting in their <laughs> chair that they have. And nobody ever viewed the video past like 30 seconds. Right. And it right. wasn't until about a minute where it started to pick up and show what we made. And it makes everybody happy. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's been a long process. So, so I noticed too, I mean, and I hope you're comfortable talking about this, but this, you relaunched this campaign, correct? Correct, we did. That's where... Yeah. Um, so what, what, what did you find that you were like trying to fix or, or what, was, what, what did you see happening in that first campaign uh, that, you, that you fixed in this one? Well, it was called the Sit Fit Forever. We came up with that name and, uh, and we trademarked it. But there was another company out there that has something to do with like sit and be fit or something, but okay. they'll use the sit fit a lot of times. So our Google search was buried like 100 pages back. We were never oh. going to get to the front on that. Right. And, um, and then that's where our video was really just very negative at the beginning. So we decided we needed to switch that around and make it a little bit happier. So, and uh, I don't know. It just, uh, that one didn't work. And it was really tough for, what, eight years? We called it the Sit Fit. And all of a sudden, we had to change the name and come up with something that could fit on Google. And uh, so we came up with the move chair, and, and that's what it's been called ever since. I think that's, I mean, that's a great story because I, you know, I, I consult a ton of campaigns that, are, that have failed or failed. And I tell everybody, like, you just don't realize a, a few pivots, like you're talking about, a name change, tweaks to a video, you know, it, it, it can make the big difference to where you have a successful campaign. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about that. So, how did you come up with the goal of $15,000? Um, well, we had 20000 our first time. Um, it's going to cost us um, uh, about $15,000. Um, you know, that's kind of looking at the when things don't go as, as planned, you know, a little bit of yeah. a buffer in there. But it's about $15,000 just in tooling to make the, the parts, um, to hard, hard tool them so we don't have to, you know, um, custom make each part every single time. So we'll, like right now, what we've been doing is just kind of make a dozen chairs at a time and it's pretty expensive to, yeah. to custom make the parts. And we had reached 17,000 something on our, or no, what did we make? Yeah, 17,000 on our, on our first try. And so we decided, well, let's just make it 15,000. It's kind of cutting the line, but hopefully it goes beyond that. And right. so it's, it, uh, it worked out for us. How, how did you work out shipping? Because this is a pretty unique item to ship, I'm assuming, right? How, how'd you handle that? Um, we've been shipping a, our products for a long time, so we've got pretty good pricing through FedEx. And uh, that's, we've actually had some pushback because we've had a lot of, lot of emails from all around the world of people wanting us to ship it to, to them. Uh-huh. And um, so we got back to them like, yeah, we'd love to ship it to Australia, but... It's going to cost 185 bucks or whatever it is. Right. And uh, so we don't really have, you know, that dialed in yet. I don't know how you ship this as far as around the world. So we've just kept it to the U.S. and Canada. And it's, I don't know if you know why, but um, I'd love to know why. About probably 60 plus percent of our, our uh, backers right now are from uh-huh. Canada. I oh, don't know why that is. Yeah. I have no answer on that one. 
That's interesting because Canada usually is second or third behind U.S. and U.K. So, huh. They um, want to be f- more physically fit, I guess, than the U.S. Well, I don't know. You know, <laughs> well, that's a possibility. That might be it. interesting. Well, uh, well, maybe we could talk a little bit about what, what was your pre-marketing strategy? You know, were you doing Facebook ads, pay-per-clicks, email signups? H- how are you getting people excited about the, the campaign? Um, that's where we're, you know, we didn't do a very good job. Um, we, we just haven't really, I mean, if we knew how to do that, we'd be sitting at like 250,000, 500,000 right now on our marketing or on our, on our Kickstarter, but we're not. So um, we did do the Facebook. Um, a lot of it was just kind of putting it in the, in the hands of people. And that's really unbelievable when you put it in the hands of people. You can sell a dozen shares just by bringing it into one place and letting some people see it right. because everybody gets hooked. But the turnaround on that is the, uh, is the, um, the conversion factor. Yeah. Is uh, just like when we took it to SEMA, we had like 300 people that were like, oh my gosh, I want one right now. I want to buy it. Sign me up. And we're like, well, we're going to launch it on Kickstarter <laughs> you know, at the end of this month. And they're like, only two out of about 300 people, only two people knew what Kickstarter was. And only one of those was like on there looking right then and there wanting to buy it. And we're like, no, 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 it hasn't launched yet. It's going to. <laughs> so right. the conversion right. is just terrible when you try to reach out to people and you get everybody interested but if you can't sell it right then and there it it's just it's not right. very good it's, it's challenging so you know with 19 days to go you know what is the plan right now how do you keep this momentum going uh you know what's the what's the temperature like for you and the company right now well we've had some some people reach out to us that could be really big game changers in this thing and I can't really talk about it a whole lot, but they could do huge things for this. They're, you know, they just happen to stumble across it and they're like, whoa, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I hate chairs. Chairs are the stupidest thing ever, but we all have to sit down in front of our computers and whatever. Right. And uh, they're like, we're going to get on this right now and we're going to get back to you. And that was just in the last couple of days. We've had uh, three different people that are just very influential but nothing's happened with that yet. So we're just okay. kind of uh, hoping something turns of that. So, so without getting into details, is that more on like a marketing side of it or you know, uh, somebody doing Facebook ads or just an influencer just talking about this on, uh, to their networks? Yeah, basically something just, like yep, exactly. Them, uh, if they got behind this thing, um, it, could get, it could get really big in a real, real big hurry. That's cool. That's cool. So, you know, so what does the next five years look like? Uh, do you see yourself focusing on the move chair and, and, and redesigning it and just continue to grow that as a product? Or, or, or do you see yourself, you know, diving into the, uh, to the archives, all the stuff you created? What, you know, what, walk me out five years for you. Um, you know, I would love to say that every month we were going to launch a new, a new campaign to uh, get all these other products out there, but seeing how much effort just one campaign takes, uh, that's not going to work. So we're probably looking more like every four to six months or something, we'll launch a new one, uh-huh. uh, which is still pretty aggressive, I think. But yeah, I mean, as, as long as the chair doesn't blow up too much where we need to start making millions of them, um, we see it that we'll just, you know, end this, we'll start manufacturing them, um, shipping them out, 
kind of the, uh, you know, 10 a day or something. And, uh, and then that'll give us time to focus on, on launching all the other products. Well, I, well, do you see um, retail in this conversation at all? Or is this something that you just see being, uh, you, know, uh, you know, smaller scale? Just, hey, you buy 10 of them through a website. What do, what do you see for the future of this? I really don't know. I've kind of given up on retail. We had yeah. some. We had a really cool product that, uh, you know, we were talking to uh, Menards about. Menards was just super, super behind it, and uh, that just slowly went away, partially because we just couldn't manufacture to the level that they needed. Yeah. And um, and then it turned out the Home Depot was super behind the product and. But there's so many hurdles. The, the big box retailers don't want to take on just one product. They want you to have a whole line of products because the amount of work we've been told over and over, uh, for them to just take on your one product is so much work. So what you really have to do is piggyback in on somebody else and have them take on your product. And then the profits are all just, they just keep getting cut down and cut down. So we just kind of like to sell online and, and sell to the people that, Find it, love it, and want it. Sure, sure. That uh, makes sense. I think I think retail is a a big, huge hurdle, and and it's intriguing. I've ran into the same problems you have in terms of when you get to the Menards or the big box, whatever Walmart name them, that you just have to produce so much, you know. And you know, there's there's no guarantee that they're selling just because they're in Arkansas or what. You know, <laughs> there's no guarantees there. So yeah, it, it is a it is a big hurdle. So oh, man, interesting. So, uh, yeah, so, all right, Matt. Well, I mean, I think this is, this is a great conversation. I mean, we've uh, dove into the move chair. I think you've got, sounds like you've got some interesting products coming down the pipeline. And uh, where can people actually check out uh, if they want more information outside of the Kickstarter? Um, our website, movechair.com, which is M-U-V chair.com, um, probably has more information on it than, than our Kickstarter page for some reason. But, okay. Um, you know, partially because we want to keep away from the negativity of, of what we failed at the first time. Sure. So we're just trying to put the happy stuff on there because it's, it's unbelievable how many people sit in it and go, wow, it just makes you happy. You just sit in this chair and you can do your work all day long and it just, it just makes you happy. That's cool. It's hard well, to really express that in a video. Yeah, well, it's a good product. That's what good products are supposed to do. They're supposed to make your life better. So, uh, well, well, Matt, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I think we did it. I think we've done a good episode. How, you feeling good? Yes, excellent. All right, awesome, awesome. All right, all right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, for all my listeners out there, go check out the Move Chair. Uh, and uh, I think you guys will dig the product. Very cool design. And uh, cool. All right, thanks, Matt. Sounds great. Thanks. Have a great day. So there's my conversation with Matt. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, you guys tell me. Maybe maybe he wasn't into it. Who knows? So song we're listening to is a song called Honey. And it was on an album that I never released called The Sugar Roses Collection. And what's interesting about this song is uh, this was about a friend of ours, mom, who uh, had to go to a psych ward and was struggling big time with addiction and wrote this really heartfelt letter to uh, her son. And we uh, we pulled apart it. So I'm going to stop talking so you guys listen to it because one of my favorite songs I wrote. All right, here we go. Two years of my- 
while sniffing online, you know, no, 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 you shouldn't try it. How about we try a better blast? You know, no, 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 it'll work a little faster. You realize the trail that you're looking for is hiding. I keep on missing, maybe it's because I'm out of veins. Get a little bit, little, little, little bit more. Find it, sunshine, sunshine, and more. Think I was a chameleon, changing for no good reason. Let you know, never meant for you to really know I'd have you hate me not to emulate 